Matthew 24, 22, 34. This is part three. I believe, as far as this is concerned, we'll probably do four or five parts in total. Uh, at, at, at the end of these, today's Bible study, Jesus is going to start using a lot of parables. Parables, we, I kind of move quite quickly in parables because they kind of speak for themselves. But um, I think it's good to, to highlight and illuminate exactly the point he's making because, of course, a parable is like an illustration, so he's saying, he's illuminating a certain truth. So it's good to illuminate those certain truths, or to emphasize them, rather. So we will go quite quickly, but I'm not sure. It depends on how things go. But we're kind of in the middle. We're kind of in the midst, in the, in the, in the nitty-gritty, when it comes to these questions. Jesus answering questions. Disciples asked him three questions, and he's answering these questions. And they're, well, we'll see them right now. If you can please turn to the first light. Here's the questions. The first question they ask is about the temple, in regards to the temple, because Jesus is talking about the temple and the structure of the temple. And they're saying, you know, um, you know when is this um, destruction of the temple going to happen? Because basically that's what he said. He goes, you know, these stones won't be left one on top of the other, so there's going to be a, a destruction of the temple, which uh, is the first question. Second question the disciples asked are the signs... Signs, signs, signs. We talked a lot about signs, so I'm not going to go over that because I want to move on. But signs, what, what, how do we know? What, what, what are we to look for when it comes to your second coming, his coming, his return? We call it second coming. Um, in, the, in the Greek, it's parousia, the, the future, visible return. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. Uh, return from heaven, um, raising of the dead, the resurrection, uh, last judgment. We're going to talk about a lot of these today, actually. Because uh, he's going to answer that question, I believe. So he's already answered question one quite extensively with the, the topic we dealt with last time, which is um, we're, we're stuck in Daniel, Daniel 9, 11, and yes, Maury, 12. <laughs> I forgot I put that up there. So three chapters, three instances of a, uh, this uh, abomination that causes desecration. And we're going to look at three possible links to those three instances of, you know, in fact, we already did look we, extensively last time we met. The three instances and three mentions of Daniel of this abomination that caused desolation. Uh, so we've already looked a lot about that. And that is surrounding specifically the temple and what's going to happen at the temple with its worship or its anti-worship, if you will. Then after that, he's going to answer these next two questions, I believe, this morning. He's going to answer these questions and he's going to move on to illustrate. And the illustrations are very devotional, very personal. And of course, we're going to get to that in the weeks to come. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that we can sit and read it and meditate on it, Lord. May we look at it, may we think about it, may we investigate it, and may we apply it to our lives, Lord. As you look through these words, and, and these are quite difficult um, topics to handle because um, you know they relate to, to, to the things that we don't yet know, future things, you know, and and for the disciples, they were difficult for them, you know, and and I think of the other writers of the Bible who receive various very far off, you know, prophetic messages 
messages, Lord, and, and some of the details, some of the information might have been very mind-boggling and confusing to them, Lord. But now we're living in a day where I think these things make a lot more sense. And so we are looking for signs. Uh, help us, Lord, to identify signs, recognize signs, Lord, and, and, and to ultimately just, I guess, repent, you know, to get our lives right with you, God, to love you, God, to find Christ in our lives if we haven't found you and to be ready, to be ready to be prepared for your return. Because you know what? No man knows the day or the hour except for Father in heaven. And so, Lord, we look at these things because we are asked, you know, to look for signs in regards to these questions. So, Lord, give us wisdom as we study your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So the next slide, please. And we did deal with this last time we were here, this abomination that causes desolation. And, and I want to look at three different themes, three different things. That's why I titled this, this message, Troubles, Messiahs or False Messiahs. And also, I should have called it Catastrophes, because Catastrophes is what we're going to see today as well. And the return of Christ, the second coming. Because there's three things, I think, that Jesus is dealing with. Three questions, three things. And the first thing is, more or less in conjunction with this temple and this desecration, which we saw already last time, is a time of trouble. Kind of a time of economic, social, religious, people persecuting people. So it's basically a tension, a trouble amongst men versus men. But then we're going to see it change into radical universal, cosmological, catastrophical, great tribulations and great troubles. And that's the second section we're going to look at today. And then the third section is an obvious, visible return of Christ. So that's what we're going to look at. So the first, just to kind of review the times of troubles. So let's just read it really quickly and then we'll move on. He says in verse 15, So when you see, standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, and like I said, we did a lot of looking in that last time. Let the reader understand, and let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it'll be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that their flight will not take place on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress. So this time of trouble is a time of great distress. And Jesus is going to talk about this a little bit more in conjunction with timing and signs. Great distress. So bad that's unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equal again. So it's a greater time than we've ever seen. Ever seen. It's the greatest time of trouble ever. If those days had not been cut short... No one would survive. That's how intense this trouble is. No one would survive. But for the sake of the church, the elect, those days will be shortened. So again, next slide, we're going to look at briefly a timeline. We already looked at it, but just as a reminder, we're going to look at a timeline. We already spoke a lot of very interesting details in Daniel's prophecies. Very interesting details. Uh, but to highlight certain bits to, to answer the question, this 
abomination that causes desolation. What is this? Well, we've already, it's like we see three instances in Daniel. We also can see three instances in, in human history. We saw in, in, in the disciples' mind, they're thinking, well, wait, 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 that abomination causes desolation. That already happened with Antiochus, you know, uh, or Ant- Antiochus um, Epiphanes back in 16, you know, or, or 167 BC. That already happened. So in their mind, they're thinking, wait, why are you talking about a future event, Christ, when this already happened? And we've already talked about what happened. And that's the first instance of a defilement of the temple. And this is in the second temple. Uh, and then after that, we have another abomination that causes desolation with, with, with Nero, Vespasian, and Titus, with the seas of Jerusalem and the destruction temple, which is a yet future event from where Jesus is right now talking to disciples in the 83, and that is in the 8070. So again, we already talked about it, but just a reminder, you have the first 16 or 167 BC, second time in 8070, and the next slide we have yet a possible third. It's like we have three instances. And in Daniel, especially Daniel chapter 12, he ties in this abomination that causes desolation with the end of time. With the end of age, the end of the world <laughs> as we know it. And so he and so that's why I think we're looking at Christ's words, looking at Daniel's words, that yet there is a possible third temple, yet another abomination that causes creation that is yet future. And so we looked a little bit about where we are today in the twenty first century, the church. Yeah, God's Holy Spirit, the church, gospel going out. And we look back. We look back at 87, that's a past event, but yet we think, is there yet a future? Um, we talked a little bit about the Jehovah's Witnesses, and I want to mention them again later on in regards to um, looking for messiahs. Um, and of course, we looked at interpretations of the scriptures and how uh, it wasn't until the Third Reich and Adolf Hitler that the Vatican, the Roman Catholic Vatican Church, stood up and said, we should only have a spiritual understanding of revelation and millennium things. And that's where amillennialism was birthed. So a lot of people feel really comfortable, especially with the high churches and whatnot, with a non-literal interpretation of the millennium and, and other, you know, futuristic scriptures. But, uh, but for me, I, I kind of think it's good to, to think and consider these things, especially in light of signs that we are seeing here and now today. So moving into the next slide, Let's look at some other scriptures that hint, other writers of the Bible that talk about, again, this abomination that causes desolation. John, the friend of Jesus, most good Bible scholars and commentators put the time, next slide please, put the time of of the book of Revelation you know, this is John, very old. The church is heavily persecuted after AD 70, after the destruction of the Second Temple in the early 90s. And so we see here, not 1990s, by the way, but the early 80s, 90s. In Revelation 13, it says, speaking of a future event, because of the signs it was given power to form on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth and order, and it ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast. So an image being set up in honor of this beast who was wounded by the sword yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. So this is a revelation John received after 8070 about a yet future time in which this desolation or this, this abomination is going to be set up. 
and, and people of the world will be forced to worship it. And it's crazy looking at the details because how is it possible, technologically speaking, for this to happen in John's time? And so when you got this message, like other messages in Revelation and other messages prophets had that were futuristic, it's hard to know how these things are even possible without the technology that we have today. So here, think about this beast, right? Okay, a second beast was given power to give breath to this image of the first beast. This was an image. It's a, it's a device. It's an artifact. So the image could speak. Okay, well, the technology, that's very easy to make you know, artifacts, devices speak. Our phones speak. Our microwaves speak. <laughs> I mean, things in our houses speak all the time. Back then, you think of a dumb idol. It doesn't speak. A piece of carven wood or carven marble. They don't speak. But now we can see devices that aren't, you know, life, aren't animated, can be made animated and even speak and cause those who refuse to worship the image to be killed. Again, we can think of some kind of great technological capability to be able to know who's worshiping and who's not worshiping, tracking people, yeah? So Paul, who is the, calls himself the least of the apostles, says in early 50s, not 1950s, but 8050s, in 2 Thessalonians 2, about the coming of Christ. And in this, we also have in conjunction this man, which we refer to as the Antichrist, possibly, the man of rebellion or man of lawlessness, in conjunction to the coming, the second coming of Lord Jesus Christ, and the church are being gathered to him. And so it says this in 2 Thessalonians 2, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and are being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become uneasy, uneasy or easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us. So even here at Paul's time, there's a lot of false prophets and a lot of false teachers whether by a prophecy, so someone says, oh, the Lord has told me, or by word of mouth, some prophet has said, and I'm regurgitating it to you, deny it, because the Lord has not returned. Uh, yet, you will know it, it'll be very obvious, asserting the day the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in this way. Deception's a big part of what we're going to see in the end times, even there in Paul's time. Deception, deceiving. For the day will not come until... The rebellion occurs, and the man of lawless is revealed. So a revealing of this man of lawlessness, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple? So wait, has, a, has Jesus Christ come? No, we can't say that because we don't want to be false prophets. Like <laughs> He hasn't come because his come is obvious. So we're still waiting for him to come, but yet there's a temple. It has to be a temple because that's what we're reading here. So that he sets himself in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Very interesting. Very interesting. Some of these future events, signs, things to look for. Next slide, please. Now, let's move on, actually, in 2 Thessalonians 2, because it gets interesting. So we're waiting for this man of lawlessness. What's keeping him from coming? It says in verse 5, Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? I love it. Paul's like, come on, you guys should know this. I've already told you all about this. And now you know, you know what's holding him back. You know what's holding back this man of lawlessness, this antichrist, if you will so that he may be revealed at the proper time, at the right time. 
For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. So in Paul's time, in our time, we can see things, baruin. But there is one who, it's a who, it's a person. And the King James says, he who, which I think is right. It's a personal pronoun here. The one who, he who now holds it back, will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way taken out of the way? What, what does this mean? Who is this he who stands the way that's going to be taken out of the way? I wonder. Well, I personally believe, amongst others, that it's God himself. Or more specifically, the Holy Spirit. Because we know God can't be taken away because he's everywhere always. But we do know that God's Holy Spirit came. So there was a time before Pentecost the Holy Spirit wasn't. Because you see, think about this. The Holy Spirit. I also believe the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit is a necessary component of the church. Remember what Jesus said. He goes, I'm not leaving you as an orphan. I I need to go. I need to die on the cross. I need to go away for your benefit so I can give you this Holy Spirit. That, That day in Pentecost when the church was born, the Holy Spirit had to come. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have the church. It's a necessary component. So in Acts 2, 1, 4, it says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. <coughs> Here is where the church was born, when the Holy Spirit came upon them. So if the Holy Spirit's holding them back and he's be taken away, I wonder what will happen to the church. The church, well, will it cease or will it too be taken away? Something to think about. But moving along in Matthew 24, at this, at that time, this is the time of troubles, okay, guys? This time of of tribulation, okay, that he's already, he's describing this difficult time. If anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive. If possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Interesting portion of scripture, this. That's why I put a lot of notes on it, because I was blown away. First of all, false messiahs and false prophets. We talked a lot about false messiahs with, say, you know, and I was going to, I mentioned some of them, without, not by names, I don't want to glorify them or bring them attention because I don't think they're worth bringing attention to, but there are still a fair amount of false messiahs. Again, the Jehovah Witnesses have a false messiah. They're Jesus who came in 1914 and he's hanging out in New York. Okay, that's a false messiah. False prophets. Again, there were those before 1915 who said that Jesus is coming. Adventists, Jehovah Witnesses, or an Adventist group, who said in 1914, Christ will come. 1914 came, Christ didn't come. So what do they say? Well, they should have done the right thing and said, we're false prophets. Please don't listen to us anymore. But instead they said, no, 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 we're right. Because, you know, false prophet's not going to ever admit they're wrong. Well, we're right, but he's hiding spiritually in New York. So he's hiding in a, in a room. What, do we say, what does Jesus say to do when that happens? Don't believe it. Yeah? So we don't believe it. But the word false prophet, pseudo prophetes, pseudo, where should we get the word pseudo Pseudo-prophet, false prophet. This is very hard pill to swallow because look how easy it is to become a false prophet. It says, one who, acting the part of a divinely inspired prophet, so I'm a prophet, utters falsehoods under the name of a divine 
prophecies. So it's when someone says, thus saith the Lord, and then there's a prophecy. It's as simple as this. If it's true, the prophet is true. If it's false, the prophet is a false prophet. It's really black and white. And this is the criteria of knowing a false prophet. Some people today think that the criteria of knowing a false pro- or prophet, whether he be true or false, is by the great signs and wonders that surrounds the, the person. But that is obviously not true, because Jesus is saying it's not true right here. Because he says that false prophets and false messiahs will appear and perform signs and wonders. So their prophecies will be surrounded by wonderful things that will be very compelling. Oh wait, I'm sorry, I messed up. Not just signs and wonders, but great signs and wonders. So if a prophet says, look, I'm a prophet, and produces wonderful, miraculous wonders, do we believe them? No, not until we know that what they say is true. That's the criteria. Signs and wonders can be contrived and and totally artificial. So, please note that true prophets are not made known through signs and wonders, since here we see great signs and wonders being performed for the sake of deception. The real test of a prophet is total and accurate truth. So, they say Jesus is hiding when Jesus returns, when he comes back, he will not be hiding. Okay, guys? So if someone claims to have hidden Jesus somewhere, save yourself some trouble and don't go look for him. Instead, when he returns, next slide, please, it will be totally obvious and visible to all. The second coming of Christ. So Matthew 24, 27, he goes on to say, For as lightning that comes from the east is visible. The point he's trying to make here isn't that his coming is going to be loud or quick. The point he's trying to make here is that it's visible. Just as lightning from the east is visible from the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. And he goes on to illustrate it very briefly with the idea of these vultures. Wherever there is a carcass, their vultures will be gathered. So if you see vultures hanging about, flying in a circle in the desert, you can reckon there's a dead body below it. It's just... Signs. Aren't we talking about signs? What to look for? That's a sign. So the sign of Jesus in his return is going to be obvious. Okay? Now he says this. Immediately after the days of distress. And this is him quoting some Old Testament prophecies, which we're going to look at in a moment. Okay? Immediately after the distress of those days. We've already talked about the social distresses, right? The, the falling apart of nations and economies, right? After, in the persecutions. After these distresses, immediately after, there's going to be catastrophic tribulations, great tribulations. And this is what it says, the sun will be darkened. Now, I don't believe it's going to be an eclipse. I believe the sun will actually give out. The world as we know it, the universe we know it, will be given up. It'll be failing as physics today says eventually will happen. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Okay, after these catastrophic tribulations, we have then the next step. Almost like it happens quickly. In fact, Jesus is going to say in a moment, it's going to happen quite quickly. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. See, signs are great because signs point you towards certain directions. But signs can be also, can say, here you are. You've arrived. Like, think about like a, a painting, a piece of art. Like that man over there we talk about time and time. There's a plaque, there's a sign below him. That sign describes that man. So I think the sign of the Son of Man in heaven is going to be the Son of Man himself. Here I am. 
And the reason why I say that is because look at it, look at it in conjunction with context. And then all the people of the earth will mourn. Why will they mourn? We're going to see that in a moment. It's because of judgment. Jesus came the first time to forgive. The second time will be to judge. So the question must be asked, what have, you, what have you done with Jesus Christ? Have you received forgiveness, or are you going to receive his judgment when he returns? So the people will mourn because of judgment. And when they see the son, the son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, so again, when he comes, it'll be like that coming in the clouds of heaven. Again, we're looking up in almost everything we're seeing here. With power and great glory, he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. Again, loud trumpet call. Interesting. I want to look at these highlighted terms in a moment. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. So really quickly, in the next slide, we're going to look at these catastrophic events. Revelation 6, 12, 13 speaks of the sixth seal and when it opens a great earthquake. And we already talked about this the last time we were here, so I don't want to spend too much time analyzing these scriptures. But just to remind ourselves what we've already learned. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat's hair. The whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to the earth as figs dropped down. Isaiah 13 and Ezekiel 32 both point out to very similar. I like how both of them, I don't like it. I hate to say it's kind of a dodgy word, but... I. It's, it's, it's interesting how they're both have, um, carry a message of judgment with them. Again, you know, what do you do with Christ? If you don't take his forgiveness from his sacrifice, you must take his judgment when he comes a second time. Isaiah 13 says, For see the day of the Lord is coming, with terrible day of his fury and fierce anger. The land will be made desolate, and all the sinners destroyed with it. The heavens will be black. This is almost a direct quote from Jesus. The heavens will be black from above. The stars will give no light. The sun will be dark when it rises. And the moon will provide no light. In Ezekiel 32, I will blot you out. I will veil the heavens in dark in the stars. I will cover the sun with a cloud. And the moon will not give, lit, give you its light. I will darken the bright stars overhead and cover your land in darkness. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. So these are things, these catastrophic events are immediately after the days of distress. Then after these things, then will appear the sign the Son of Man in heaven. Next slide. Here's some, some other verses that I think might illuminate what Jesus is talking about here. In Acts 1.9, we see that Jesus' visible return in the sky once again. This is in Acts 1.9. It says, He was taken up before them when he ascended, their very eyes, and the cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up in the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood before them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Okay, so same nature, same way you see him going up, we will see him come back. His return will be accompanied by, again, a loud trumpet blast. We've already seen that. Jesus is speaking of these things. And Paul, too, in 1 Thessalonians 4, said, According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep or have passed away or died for the Lord himself, okay, this is the key part of the scripture here. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Again, agreeing with Jesus, agreeing with what we see in Acts, the angels. Paul 2, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God. In the dead Christ, the resurrection will rise first. 
After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Also, again, following Christ's return is the judgment of the wickedness of the world. So this is a very serious message. Christ, we see the end times, we see these signs, we see these troubles, these great troubles. We see Christ come. He comes for his church, for his people, for those who love him and love the gospel and are waiting for him and ready for him. It's exciting. We get to be with the Lord forever. It's great news. But there's also not so great news for the world. Just judgment is coming. It says in 2 Thessalonians 1.6, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Again, revealed from heaven. And here we have new information, blazing fire, but with powerful angels. Again, we see this again. He will punish those who do not know God. And do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Next slide. We're going to finish this next slide and finish with this illustration, which I think is a good way to finish this, this, this portion of our study through Matthew 24. And that's with Matthew 24, 32, 35. He gives us a nice illustration or a parable, this fig tree. He says, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its, its twigs get tender, and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. So you look at the tree to tell the signs of the times. Summer is coming. You look at it. You can see the signs. So here he's saying, I'm giving you, I'm giving you things to look for. It's like a person who would look at a tree to see the signs of the seasons. I'm giving you very specific information to look for for the signs of my return. Because you asked me. He, the disciples asked him, when's the structure of the temple? When are you coming back? When's the end of the age? So he's answering them. It may not be completely pleasant. I get really scared. I get really freaked out sometimes because of my sin and my rebellion and my disobedience and my nervousness and my fears. But then I realize that I belong to God and I belong in His Spirit is with me. And, he, and I get to be with Him. As frightful and as uncertain as some of these things may be, I get to be with God. I get to be with Christ because I'm born again. I'm his. He's given me his. He sealed me with his Holy Spirit. But but still, we need to look for the signs. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. So as you see these signs, know this: time is coming soon. In fact, it's going to happen quickly. Because he says, "I tell you this: this generation will not certainly pass, or certainly not pass away until all these things have happened." Some people have said, wait, 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 this verse is kind of confusing. This looks like it's happened in Christ's time. But that's not what he's saying. If you look at the word hautos genue, it can be translated, or it's translated exhaustively like this. This, these, or the same people living at a particular, or this particular time. So when you start to see the signs, realize it's going to unfold quickly. That's what he's saying. So some who say it's all happened in the past, they believe that all these things, both the social troubles, the catastrophic troubles, and his return has happened in the past, in this generation. But you don't have to. You don't have to say that because he's talking about this generation who sees these signs. It's an illustration. When you see the signs, know that this generation will see Christ. So if we're seeing it now, then we know that this generation... This, this, this time, this particular time, our, you know, us and the people we live with in this world, 
will see the return of Christ. So that's, again, a future interpretation of these things. But then Jesus ends by saying this. Heaven and earth will pass away. And by the way, guys, I hate to break the news to you. Heaven and earth will pass away. So let's, let's put our treasures in God's kingdom and store them in the right place. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my word, says Jesus, will never pass away. Let's pray.